This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. We are right in the middle of a uh, series that we started last week called F-Bombs. Last week we looked at fear and how fear can be like a bomb that is dropped into our lives and it can explode and destroy the authentic life that Jesus really wants to give us. This week we're going to continue in that series. But to get started today, I want to play a little game with you. Okay? So everybody get your game hats on. Get your game face ready. All right. It's just a simple game called, is it good or is it bad? All right. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some pictures. And if you think it is good, all you have to do is raise your hand. Okay? That's how you're going to vote that it is good. Let's look at the first picture up here today. Krispy Kreme donuts. Who says that's good? That's a lot of hands going up. What if I sat here and told you how many calories were in one of them things? And how many fat grams were in there? How many of you still would, I don't care, I'm just going to raise my hand anyway. I like that stuff. 300 calories, I don't care. Really? Seriously. Next one. This is for me and really because we're from Stanley County. Liver mush. Who says that's good? My hand goes up on that one. I'm going to tell you, my wife hates that stuff. Hates it. She literally will not come in the house for like three days after I cook it. It's, it's crazy, but you can get it at breakfast restaurants around here, which is wonderful. It's a nice welcome home for me. Liver mush. Some of you say it's good. Who says it's bad? Let's do a little a bad vote. A lot of hands up. Bad there. All right, here we go. Here we go. Next one. Next one. This is... This ruins, if I ever take my daughter to get a Happy Meal, this ruins my day. Because now, McDonald's shows you how many calories are in what you want to get. Right? So I don't know if you see the Angus Deluxe meal up there that can go for 1380 And my little app that I use on my phone, that's about how many calories I can eat in a whole day that I'm going to get in that one meal. Ruins my day. How many of y'all say that's good? How many of y'all say that's bad? I don't want to see that stuff. I'm at McDonald's. I don't want to know what I'm eating anyway. If I made a decision to go to McDonald's, I don't care what I'm eating. All right? Next picture, next picture. Ooh, this is a tough one. Speeding. Now I'm talking about like drag racing on like 24, 27. I'm talking about five miles an hour over. Five miles an hour over. Four, five miles an hour, which we all know you can get away with. Right? Just don't let the sheriff's deputy in the back know that that's what you do. How many of you say that's good? The sheriff's deputy's wife raised her hand. Speeding, five miles an hour. Next one. Next one. Video games. Video games in this world where all this information is now available about how damaging and how difficult it might make life for emerging young teenagers. How many of you would still say video games are good? 
Three, three of you admitted. A few of you. All right. We're going to end on a difficult one. A difficult one. The next one. The death penalty. The death penalty. How many of you would say the death penalty is a good thing? It's a tough one, isn't it? That's a tough one. You see, it is unfortunate for you, but we live in a world that is constantly keeping score of good and bad. Constantly keeping score of good and bad. That they're watching you and you're watching yourself and other people. And we're constantly rating behavior and people and events and things that happen and what people do on a scale of good and bad. This was not uncommon for Jesus. Because in his day, there were two groups of people that were very good at keeping score when it came to good and bad. Jesus was surrounded with a group called the Pharisees. And we see over and over in Scripture that the Pharisees and Jesus had their run-ins. And time and time again, we also see that Jesus gets into debate with what is called the Sadducees. These are two religious groups, leaders who, for lack of a better term, they were the preachers in Jesus' day. They were the people who had all the religious education. They were the people who spent most of their lives devoting themselves to serving God. And they had made good and bad a science. And so in this moment that we're going to see out of Luke 11, Jesus is asked to come and eat with a Pharisee. And there is something that happens in the middle of this discourse that begins to redefine good and bad. I want you to look at this with me. Luke 11, verse 37 through 39. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Now, I just want you to understand. I'm going to stop right there. In Jesus' day, now it's a big deal to have someone over to our house nowadays, right? Because most of us have busy schedules. And it's difficult to block off the, enough time to get the house clean because we don't want to invite somebody over when the house is dirty, right? Get the house clean, get a meal prepared. Make sure the kids got their naps that day so they don't look crazy when the folks come over. It takes a lot of time. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't just the issue of time. To invite someone to eat with you was a significant step relationally. It meant I, I'm interested in you. I see value in you. And I'd like to get to know you better. So people were very careful with who they actually spent time with, who they invited over. You only invited over certain kinds of people. And the Pharisee 
in this moment has to some degree taken a risk because Jesus is a rogue teacher. He is not necessarily a Pharisee, although we now can recognize that he was definitely a rabbi. And so Jesus is invited over to this Pharisee's house. So he went in and reclined at the table. I love that. Jesus was like, all right, I'm not worried. You're the religious leader, but I'm just going to chill and kick back at the table when I come over to have dinner with you. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are all full of greed and wickedness. You see, cleansing was one of those things that for a Pharisee it was important. It was good. To the point that they had discussions about what the right way to wash your hands were. Did you wash them like this? Or did you wash them like this? And they had rules and regulations that they followed. And so Jesus, this guy who knew the Bible and taught and had so many people who were following and coming to hear him teach, is invited over and he skips the washing. And the Pharisee notices it and makes a deal about it. Because the Pharisee is keeping account of good and bad. And he notices it and he assumes that Jesus has done something that was bad. But Jesus looks at him and says, you guys have only cleaned the outside of the cup because inside you're filled with wickedness. You see, the problem with good and bad is this. Who's making the call on what's good and what's bad? That's the problem with good and bad in the way that our culture is presenting it to us today because for many of you, you are in the driver's seat of deciding what is good and bad. And that is a dangerous place to be. Now, it is important for me to talk about something today in the context of this discussion because it plays a role into the way our culture understands good and bad. And that is something that you hear dropped occasionally. It's the word karma. The sad thing is, is that our culture has accepted karmic law as truth. We have accepted karmic law as the truth. And it is as simple as this. Karmic law, this is just a simplified version of it. It's do good and good will be done to you. Do bad and bad will be done to you. If not in this life, then the next. Karma has led to one of the most heinous belief systems that has ever created atrocities against humanity. 
If you've ever walked the streets in India, there's a class of people called the Dalits. They are lower than the low. People that you wouldn't even touch, associate with, you wouldn't even give a handout to. And a good Hindu will look at a delete and think you earned that. You did something in your life to earn to be born into that kind of a family. To just put it in the form of an equation which is to some degree what karma does. It reduces our behavior to an equation. It would look something like this. That if I do good, a good, and a bad, I'm owed a good. That's silly. That's just downright silly. I have been in two discussions recently with people who are not believers. And I've been completely blown away by what they've said when in, in regards to karma. One guy, I was on in the road just driving with him. We were on our way to go eat lunch. and We were talking about this, and he, he had actually brought it up and asked me what I thought about it, and I, I was explaining. He's, and I said, you know, the, the thing about this is, is, is if, it, if it really is you do the right thing, you do the good thing, you do the good thing, and you're owed the good thing, how do you explain Jesus? I mean, how do you explain Jesus in the light of karma? God who had done everything right, who was punished on the cross for my sin. And he just kind of sat there for a minute and said, you know what? That does kind of blow it all out of me. I'm like, yeah, it does. And not too long after that, I was with a group of teachers and they were just sitting around and talking and I was listening. And they always like to bring religion up because they know that if, if they bring that up, they might get something out of me, you know, for, for, for an effect, I guess. And, and, they were, and I was just listening to them talk and one of them brought up karma and just mentioned how he, he bought into that and he believes in that. And another guy, not a believer in Jesus, not a follower in God, all right, he says this, I think that's just the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard. Because the best people I've known in my life are the people who hit the most crap. You see, karma has invaded the way that we think in our culture. Because we have relegated behavior on a scale of good and bad. And we feel like if we do enough good, the world owes us something. on the inverse of that, we feel like if we've done enough bad, the world owes us some punishment. If we do enough good, if I do enough good, I might actually be a good person, but if I look back at my life and I weigh myself and I find myself on the scales as bad, then I'm a bad person. See, the same problem is there. Who is deciding what is good and bad? Who is deciding what is good and bad? Who is deciding what I've done, what legacy exists behind my life, and what is owed to me? And that brings us to our F-bomb today. And it is a bomb that has dropped in every one of our lives. And it's happened without us seeing it, without us even perceiving it. And it's the bomb of fear. 
that we think life is supposed to be fair. That if I do enough good, that life owes me something. And on the inverse, if I do enough bad, I'm owed some punishment. The truth is, is that the bomb affair has totally wrecked the way that we look at Jesus. For many of us, it is totally and subtly destroying the way that God wants us to live. So let's look at the aftermath of the bomb affair when it explodes in our life. The first thing is that fair is always built on our standards. The idea of fair is always built on our standards. Think back to Luke 11, that Pharisee. As Jesus walked in and just simply walked to the table and began to recline, the Pharisee was offended because Jesus did not wash his hands. Jesus is God. He wrote the commandments. He put the laws into place. And it is his prerogative what they actually get applied to. And Jesus is saying, you missed it. It's not about how you washed your hands. It's about what's happening on the inside of your heart that really matters. Because you guys got some clean hands. But you got a dirty heart. You see, fair is always built on top of our standard. We start deciding what life owes us. What we deserve. The second thing is this. Fair leaves us feeling entitled to something better. Fair leaves us feeling entitled to something better. <clears throat> I do not think that there is anything that is a grosser, more negligent consequence of living in the aftermath of the bomb of fear or fear when it explodes in our lives than the feeling of entitlement that exists. And I want to tell you something about that. Because I believe that God wants great things for you. I believe that. I believe that God wants to use you to do something that makes an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. I believe that God has great plans for you. And the Bible tells us that those plans are to prosper us and to take us to a new place, right? That he wants to do something. But all of that stuff is on his standard, not on mine. It's on God's standard of what it means to be prosperous. Because there are some dirt poor people in the scriptures that were remarkably prosperous. (laughs) 
Here's something that after study and looking into this, that I, I just wanted to bring this to you because this is important for you to get. God invites you into his story, but he will not force you, his story on you. And he's not going to, he's not going to write your story. He invites you into his story. Last week we looked at Joshua 1 where God has invited Israelites into a new story to conquer the land that he promised to them. Let me tell you what God could have done. God could have flooded Canaan, killed every person that was there. God could have sent a tornado. He could have sent a wildfire. He could have sent anything. But you know what he did? He invited them into the story because they had to go take the land. And I think that for many of us, the call and invitation of God is something that we sit back and look and go, all right, God, when are you going to do that? When are you going to make that happen? And, I, and there has been recently, I'm going to show you a video. This comes from the Teen Choice Awards. Can you believe I'm about to show a video from the Teen Choice Awards? Seriously. All right. Ashton Kutcher is given a, a kind of a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I want you to see the first thing that he told the audience because it fits this moment. And I want you to get this. Look at this one. I feel like a fraud. Uh, my name is actually not even Ashton. Ashton is my middle name. My first name's Chris. And, and it always has been. It got changed when I was like 19 and I became an actor. But there were some really amazing things that I learned when I was Chris. And I wanted to share those things with you guys because I think it, it's helped me be here today. So it's really three things. The first thing is about opportunity. The second thing is about being sexy. And the third thing is about living life. So first, opportunity. I believe that opportunity looks a lot like hard work. When I was 13, I had my first job with my dad carrying shingles up to the roof. And then I got a job washing dishes at a restaurant. And then I got a job in a grocery store deli. And then I got a job in a factory sweeping Cheerio dust off the ground. And I've never had a job in my life that I was better than. I was always just lucky to have a job. And every job I had was a stepping stone to my next job. And I never quit my job until I had my next job. And so opportunities look a lot like work. That's a team choice award right there. <laughs> Opportunity looks a lot like hard work. And you know what? The opportunity that God gives us to follow him looks a lot like hard work. And so to step out and do it, we have to be willing to step into his story and to go follow him and to do what he would ask of us. You see... 
when we start to think about fair, we definitely start to think about the stuff that life owes us. Because I've done enough good that I've earned this. But a few weeks ago, I told you this, and I dropped a scripture from 1 Timothy 6 on you. I want to do that again. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just good gain, not just fair gain, it is great gain. Our capacity to look at God and to say, God, I just want to follow you. I don't care what life looks like. You just come write the story. I'll step into it. I'll follow is great game. But we need to be aware of the fact that choosing to do that will not lead us into a fair life. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, Jesus says this in John 15. Jesus speaking to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If we step towards Jesus, we're stepping against the culture that is flowing against us. And we will experience the resistance that is there. I'm going to skip number three and come back to it because I want to show you something first that is important because God has an F-bomb that he wants to drop that totally messes up the idea of faith. And it comes out of this little passage in 1 Samuel 15. Read if you have your Bible, I would turn there, 1 Samuel 15, 22. I'm going to read this to you. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. In this passage, we're dealing with the idea that God has called the Israelites to prepare sacrifices and to bring sacrifices to make themselves right with him. But Samuel the prophet is saying that the Lord does not delight in those as much as he does our obedience. To obey is better than to sacrifice. And in our world, doing good thing after good thing after good thing for many people is what Christianity is defined as. I'm going to stop cussing. That's a good thing. I'm going to stop a bad thing. I'm going to eat better. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. I'm not going to those places. All of those things, good things. 
But the Bible tells us here that God wants your obedience more than he wants your sacrifice. So let's look at this. Number one, under God's F-bomb here, faithfulness is God's plan. Faithfulness isn't always fair, but it is God's plan. Faithfulness isn't always fair, but it is God's plan. In that passage of Scripture, we see that there are many good things that we could do. We could be the good person that brings the right thing to the sacrifice. I can bring the bull. I can bring the goat. I can make the right sacrifice. But it is not the same thing as obedience. And God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. And look at this. I'm going to be as bold as to say this. Number two, what most of us think is fair, God wants to give us through faithfulness. What most of us think life owes us and is fair, God wants to give us through our faithfulness to Him. Let me just give you an example of that. In marriage, it is not uncommon to experience the tension of I have done good, I have done good, I have done good. I expect you to do good now. Y'all been there? You know what I'm talking about? I've done the right thing. You're supposed to be doing the right thing. I'm cleaning up. Can you not look at me? I'm sweeping the floor. Get up off the couch. You've been there. And what are we saying? Like I'm doing something good. I want you to serve. I want you to serve right alongside me. I want you to be faithful. But perhaps if we would just take on the desire to be faithful and to be the person that God has called us to be in that relationship without overstepping our bounds, perhaps... God would give you what you wanted. What even is the desire of your heart just by being faithful, not by expecting it because it's fair. So many times I have seen young people, I'm talking people my age, overextend themselves in their careers. They get in a job and they want to climb the ladder as fast as they can because they are educated, they're smart. It's fair for them to be up there. But they overextend themselves and they get into a position where they actually cannot perform in the position that they're in. Because their skills aren't there. Because their integrity isn't there. And they end up failing. Instead of. Getting into a role. Into a job. And deciding I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to do this job. The best that I can do this. And let God be the one that sees my faithfulness. And promotes me. 
just going to be faithful. Because over and over and over again, I've seen God do that too. Take someone who decided to be faithful. To work behind the scenes where nobody saw it. And to use them in a powerful way. One happens on your time. The other one happens on God's time. And the last thing is that faithfulness connects us to Jesus. Faithfulness connects us to Jesus. Let's back up and go to number three. Under the aftermath, what happens when the bomb of fear has exploded in our lives? Fear denies us the ability to identify with Jesus. The greatest problem with living a life that wants it to be fair is that we cannot identify with Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul penned these words. And I'm going to read them to you, but I want you to know where he wrote them from. He was in a prison cell when he wrote these. He wasn't sitting in a pulpit. He wasn't sitting on top of a mountain in a church. He was in a prison cell that was about 10 by 10. The ceiling was about four and a half feet tall. It was stone. He didn't get to go out and use the bathroom. And he wrote this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. And if I'm going to know Jesus, it means I'm going to have to know him in his sufferings too. And the problem with a life that is bent on fair is that it keeps us from identifying with Jesus when we go through difficult times. Because we sit back looking at God saying, why haven't you done something? But faithfulness, faithfulness identifies us with the Son of God. The God who for eternity had been worshipped and adored in heaven. Who saw you and me in a situation that we couldn't get ourselves out of. And his father made a plan. Son, I'm going to send you to earth. Because there's not one of them that can get it right. And so I'm going to send you to earth. If you get it right, then I'm going to kill you as a sacrifice for them. Jesus was faithful to that plan. To the point that the night before his crucifixion, when he knows what's coming, He's praying in a garden and there's such anxiety around it that his capillaries burst and it appears that he sweated blood. <coughs> and he resigns himself. Not mine, but your will be done. 
sitting about me. See, many of us have identified something in life that we call fail. And it's out of reach because life isn't fair. But if we would embrace God's plan of faithfulness, I promise you that just like the negative effects that explode in our lives from a bomb like fail, faithfulness in the same way begins to have the same effects. Let's pray. God, today, we just look to you because we realize that we don't have the answers. Many of us today are struggling, and, and as we've talked about it, I, I think there's many of us in the room today that would say, life isn't fair. It's not. I don't understand why my friend who's a great person is always going through this. And God, I don't know why when I try to take two or three steps towards you, stuff just always seems to blow up in my life. Life's not fair. But God, today you reminded us that it's not fair. That the world's going to hate us if we choose you. There's going to be resistance if we try to make a move to get towards you. We're going to step into the stream that's flowing the other direction. And God, today, in this place, would you call some of us out of that life of fair and into a life of faithfulness so that we can even more be identified with Jesus so that we can know him as he leads us and know him even as we suffer. So today with nobody looking around, all heads bowed, no movement, I want to ask you a question. Have you been expecting life to be fair? Have you been expecting life to be fair to you? in a relationship, in your job? Have you been expecting life to be fair? Because if so, there's a good chance that an F-bomb has went off in your life. Today, if you realize that You've been living life based on a good and bad system, but you're beyond that. You, you realize today that maybe you can never be good enough. Maybe the bad seems like it's tailed with you, but the good news of Jesus is that it's not about you. That your future is not anchored in you and what you can do that's good or bad. It's anchored in the work that he did on the cross. So if you're here today and you would say today, man, I've been living that way, way and everything is good and bad and I haven't really started living for Jesus, but I want to and I want to do that today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. 
anybody else. If you'd say today that you're here and you've been really wrestling with the idea of fair in your life, but you realize that God has invited you to live a life of faithfulness instead of expecting it to be fair. And you'd like to commit before Jesus right now. God, I'm not going to worry about fair anymore. I'm not going to keep a system of good. I'm not going to expect good because I did good. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to try to identify with you. You got bad when you did good. So God, I'm going to throw that away and just embrace faithfulness. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? It's awesome. Let's pray. For those hands that have went up, God, for those of us today that need to be reminded of your great love for us, God, today we just look to you and recognize that, God, you're the leader, we're the follower. God, you're, you're the head. We're just the tail. And so, God, give us a direction and we'll go. We're not going to sit back and wait. God, we're just going to use the opportunity and put the hard work in to follow you. So today, God, we just look to you. For those that raised their hand today and made commitments to follow you, perhaps maybe even for the first time, God, encourage them when they get lost and broken most importantly, God, keep them close to you. Guide them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.